Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal and the World Cup. These couple of weeks featured the round of 16 and quarterfinals of FIFA World Cup 2022. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. I think I've caught World Cup fever a little bit. Just a little bit. Just, just a mild case. It's a mild case. It's, <laughs> boy, it is a lot of fun, isn't it? Yeah, well, all all it took for me to really start experiencing it to its fullest was for Team USA to get knocked out. <laughs> I branched out from that point and started watching uh, all different matches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, there there is a fun angle to that. That when you're when you're when you're in neutral, you don't when you don't care as much. It it does make it a little easier mm-hmm. sometimes to get locked into it. Uh, but yeah, of course, that's that was also the disappointment of my team got knocked out, and that makes me sad. Right. Which I don't feel as acutely. Um, that's actually one thing that I'm kind of curious about is, you know, I'm seeing these reactions and people beside themselves. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't think I fully, uh, fully relate to the, uh, the histrionics. Like I, I don't quite, I guess I, I'm not feeling it at that level, at least not yet. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have some thoughts about that, but we can get to it. I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on the U S game. We can talk about that for sure. Yeah, so uh well, we talk about it also, now if you first, want, whatever. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Um let's let's try and stick to format, see so see how we can do with that. So um for follow up, um I I checked in with my parents and my grandparents were all born in the USA on both sides. So nope, uh no no playing for Russia like I thought was a possibility for me. So <laughs> Yeah, so and actually so we can follow that. I did look up the official rules and so for uh, oh, to okay. be eligible for a country you have to fulfill one of the conditions be born in that and they call it the territory of the relevant association because remember not all of these are countries ah, of course. But you have to be sure. born there. Your biological one of your biological parents is born there or your grandparents is born there or you have lived there continuously at least five years after reaching the age of 18. Huh. Okay. So yeah, you and I are, you and I are Americans through and through. Yep. Yep. All right. So the next thing is I had asked you about the term national league and we, we got a good uh, explanation of that in last round, but I think I realized uh, listening to discussion in these last couple of weeks, I think what I actually meant to ask about was the nation's league, which seems like it is something else and probably is actually proper, properly capitalized. <laughs> um, what is the nation's league? So the Nations League is a – there's actually two of them. They're, they're separate tournaments organized by, in this case, uh, as it turns out, UEFA and CONCACAF. Uh, UEFA, of course, being the European ah. Confederation. CONCACAF is North America's, which is the one the U.S. is part of. It's a way to organize international games outside of a tournament. So it, it's essentially a, a, a league slash tournament that gives teams a bunch of games. It's it's really helpful actually for smaller countries to get games in mm-hmm. because when you're in internationals, unless you have a tournament or you're qualifying for a tournament, they play what are called friendlies. They're just essentially exhibition games. For big countries, you know the 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 great powers of the sport or a team like the U.S. That's an, they have an e- relatively easy time getting friendlies. But if you're a small country like, say, the Dominican Republic and CONCACAF, nobody wants mm-hmm. to play you. You don't have the money to go anywhere. So unless it's a tournament you have to play in, you never get any time. 
And so a contest like a competition like the Nations League gives those smaller countries an opportunity to get more games, uh, which, you know, in most cases they're probably going to lose a lot of them, but that's better than not playing at all. It allows you to test out your players oh, sure. to actually get, you know, maybe sell some tickets and earn a little money. Um, so, the, yeah, they, those tournaments have just started in the last couple of years. They both, I think, started, I want to say 2019. Huh. Um, so hmm. Still very new. Uh, the U.S. won the inaugural Nations League with CONCACAF. And we are currently in the middle of the next one. We have a couple of games in March. And then I think, think uh, that if we win our group, we'll play in the finals uh, in June, I think is when that's supposed to be. So, Oh, okay. So UEFA and CONCACAF each have their own separate Nations Leagues? Correct. Okay, and would that be capital N, capital L for Nations League, or is it if just we, kind of we a, ty- is it just... Yeah, if we were typing it out, yeah, yeah. it would be capitalized, because that's the, the official name of the tournament is the CONCACAF Nations okay. League. Um, they, again, they're still relatively new. They're, they're basically set up as very simple groups. You have a small group, and they're, they're set up so that they, they're sort of different levels, so you can be promoted and relegated between tournaments. Um, right. And then at the top league, the winners of the groups will play a, a final. So uh, the U.S. is uh, very likely to win, I think is very likely to win their group and play in the Nations League final again. Uh, the UEFA finished their group stage of their Nations League. And I think England actually got relegated actually out of there. So you play a bunch of games hmm. in a tight space against, um, you know, against teams within your confederation, which can be quite, you know, it can be quite difficult, uh, you know, it, that kind of, getting that kind of competition in. And so, you know, yeah, a couple of bad results and all of a sudden you find yourself playing in a lower level. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Moving on to the news. um, You related something to me that apparently just happened a couple weeks ago that I was, I was surprised about. Uh, Can you fill me in on the story with Jesus? Yeah, so this is this is one of the dangers of of the midseason World Cup. It's always the danger of any World Cup, but the the danger of a midseason World Cup is injuries. And uh, Gabriel Jesus was injured in uh, Brazil's final group game. Uh, he has actually had surgery. It was damage to his MCL. Uh, they don't, you know, I haven't seen quite uh, exactly exactly what it was but uh it appears he will likely be out i don't believe arsenal said anything specifically but appears he'll probably likely will be out several months while he rehabilitates i suspect i hope there's a chance he comes back before the end of the season but i guess we'll find out yeah i i ended up watching a couple brazil matches in the round of 16 and the quarterfinals and i noticed that he wasn't playing the commentators hadn't said anything so i didn't know why that was and ah that's that's devastating i i I wish him well and i hope arsenal is able to get on well without him yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be tough uh we're, we're about to hit january in the january transfer window so there will be opportunities uh to bring in players uh, arsenal faced this very similar situation as i'm sure you saw in in the all or nothing documentary they faced a similar situation to this last year where they really did need some forward players and they ended up choosing not to bring anyone in for various reasons and to a certain extent, it costs them. I really, if they've been able to get a couple of goals in some of those games late in the season, maybe they're already in the Champions League this year. So, 
Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of an interesting. It'll be very curious to see what they're thinking, what they're doing. They've obviously been planning for this window f- since the summer, at least. Uh, ha- you generally don't get a lot out of the January window. It's it's not for big pieces. So it'll right. be curious to see what's available or who's available or how they tend to approach it and really how much money they're willing to spend. And I mean, and I think this World Cup has really shown it as well. Strikers are valuable. Goals are really valuable. So strikers cost a lot of money. Yeah. And and especially midseason yeah. teams will be teams will be loath to give them up. Right. I mean, is there any scenario in which we take a loan from another team or something? I mean, those it sounds like would typically be more junior players, which wouldn't be suitable to replace Jesus, our, our lead striker. So uh, loans loans are difficult because they those guys are I think a little harder. It, I think they're a little more difficult to speculate on because they're uh. they're a little harder to peg. You're really looking for a guy, either a young player who needs playing time which is not going to be something we're interested in because we need we're right. we're in a title we're in a title race we're go, looking to go deep in in Europe and you know potentially the FA Cup as well you know we need experienced players you could theoretically find a player who's talented but maybe not um you know sort of fallen out a little bit with his current club uh that's how we first got Martin Odegaard actually he came on loan from hmm. from Real Madrid Part of that was just because they're Real Madrid and they constantly acquire players, and he was just so far down the bench that they let him. They let him come to us for six months, and they basically didn't even notice he was gone. Um, <laughs> it, you know, you can find some All of right. those, but especially given where we are, uh, that's we're boy, that's going to be a tough, tough haul. But then again, that's that's why they pay Adu and, and Arteta all that money. That's what they're for. So to, to unearth those yeah. things or have those conversations. That's true. All right. Well, yeah, that'll be interesting to follow. So uh, so getting back to the World Cup, um, since we last recorded, we had the entirety of the round of 16 and the quarterfinals. As we record, we've got the semifinals and then the final coming up in the next week. So excitement lies ahead. Uh, who did you watch? What matches did you watch from the round of 16 and the, and the quarterfinals? Uh, round of 16. I, did, I watched the U.S. Netherlands one all the way through. Yep. Uh, you know, big surprise there. Uh, it was a, it was a little yeah. disappointing. Um, which one did I see? <laughs> I saw, I saw a little bit of France, Poland. Um, I hmm. caught pieces of Brazil, South Korea. And then I saw bits and pieces of Portugal, Switzerland. A lot of those games were during the week, and so I was in the office, and it was a, I had them on, not necessarily watching per se. Um, right. And then since then, the quarterfinals, I caught uh, the 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 end. So I got the late late regulation extra time for Croatia, Brazil, and then I actually did see all of Morocco and Portugal. I did not see any of the Netherlands, Argentina, or England, France games, which is a little disappointing because it turns out they got they both got pretty crazy, apparently. So yes, um, so that was a little disappointing. But uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen bits and pieces, not as much as I typically like. But then again, the World Cup is typically in the summer, where I don't have have work. So right, yes, you are in education, so yeah, summers summers are uh, light for you. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose we should clarify that. Yes, I work in education, so when I say I don't have work in the summer, it's, that's why that's why I am not a layabout for several months. But. <laughs> yeah, you, you earn it. <laughs> so, uh, so for me, um, 
I, I also watched the U.S. versus Netherlands. Um, the interesting thing there, so it was the only match that I watched in real time. The rest I recorded and watched later, which became a problem in the Brazil-Croatia match. We'll, we'll get to that. But uh, it was actually really fun for the Netherlands versus U.S. I mentioned for the whole group stage, I was able to watch the matches uh, with my father uh, sitting in the room with him because I was visiting there for Thanksgiving. Uh, for this match... Um, he joined late, but he, we watched the whole second half together on speakerphone with each other. <laughs> so, so that was fun. Uh, of course, the U.S. didn't perform as well as we'd hoped, but overall it was, it was a good match. It was a decent competition and, uh, and Netherlands earned it. They, <laughs> they performed better was, was my takeaway from that. Um, so then uh, Brazil and South Korea. So so I, I watched entire matches or, or nothing at all, basically, was is and that's pretty much what I what I do with Arsenal also. Um, so Brazil and South Korea, um, I watched time shifted. I did have a couple of questions and, and one comment that came up. So, I mean, this is the match where they really, really decimated South Korea. They scored four goals within the first 35 minutes, and that was enough that they just kind of kicked back. And they, they let one goal come in early in the second half, but, you know, the, there was never really any threat from South Korea. Um, one thing that I noticed that also came up during the Croatia matches, the one player, uh, H.M. Sohn was his name, he had this mask on his face. And I, when I just saw it in passing when they were showing the starting lineup or something, I didn't know what was going on. As I started seeing it closer in play, I could see it was carbon fiber and clearly some kind of medical device. And then the commentators mentioned that he, he had fractured his left eye socket. Uh, which definitely doesn't sound fun. And, and I'm, I'm amazed that he's playing at all in that condition because I can't imagine that a protective mask like that is really going to help you that much if you take a ball or an elbow or a head to the face. So it's like he's still probably in jeopardy of re-injuring it pretty badly, I would guess. But uh, how common is that? Do you see that in Premier League play? Oh, is yeah. Well, first off, things uh, they that's... want to play. Yeah. No, you'll see. First of all, that's that's Hinman Song, that's uh, who plays for for Tottenham. So uh, you've seen him. Before. Oh, I hadn't got, recognized I, him with the mask. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he got. I believe he got hurt in their uh, in their uh, their their Champions League game right before um, right before the break. Uh, but yeah, he's wearing the mask. Mm. You you see that more and more. Obviously, for the longest time, they didn't have the masks and whatnot. But I've seen those now for for a while. Uh, basically, the idea is. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly right. You're still at some danger there, but I think the idea of the the mask it sort of protects you from inadvertent contact. So you know, if a hand whacks you in the face, or the you take a glancing blow from the ball. Obviously, if you go head to head with somebody, it's obviously going to really hurt and not going to help as much. Yeah. But but it does yeah. protect you from those glancing blows. Uh, but yeah, I, part of that is also it's it's the World Cup. But I I thoroughly expect Son will be in the lineup for Tottenham uh, when they come back. Uh, after the after the world cup okay. as well so uh, yeah you, you'll see that a lot i think uh, there were a couple i've seen one or two others in here uh i think during the during yeah the there's a croatian well. player a Cro either yeah i think yeah, it was a croatian player that was wearing one also so mm, yeah yeah so yeah you'll see you'll see that now and again but yes uh he was uh it sounds very unpleasant a fractured left eye socket yeah not not fun you mentioned he plays for tottenham i i, I 
I've heard of more players playing for Tottenham than for any other club in, in this World Cup, at least with the games that I've watched. I mean, between Harry Kane and uh, Loris, I think, the, the keeper for France. Hugo Loris, yeah. Yeah, Loris. Um, there, there's at least one or two others on, on England's team. There, there's a lot of Tottenham players. Yeah, I mean, in Tottenham, Tottenham's, you know, I don't like saying it, but Tottenham's pretty good. Uh, yeah, they have. Yeah. I remember seeing a list somewhere breaking it down by club. I think, I think it's either Manchester City or Manchester United has the most. No, no, here it is. I'm sorry, Barcelona has the most uh, teams, mm. the, which is not a surprise. Manchester City has the right. most of anyone in the Premier League. Uh, Tottenham has 11 players there. Arsenal has 10. I mean, you're noticing that they're they're certainly some of Tottenham's are playing in key key places. Uh, you mentioned yeah. Kane, um, Son. Uh, Rich Arlison plays for them. He was one of Brazil's oh, right. uh, yep, yep, the, the yep. top players. Um, that was another yeah. one I'd noticed, yeah. Yeah, Loris. Uh, they, they have a couple. I think one of the Dutch players was also Tottenham. Uh, yeah, yeah they, and they're, they're pretty good, and that's partly why you can see them in key places for, for some big yeah, teams. Yeah, it also sounds like they're in the matches that I was watching outside of our group, and apparently they're on the teams that have done well, that have advanced further. So that's uh, that's interesting. Um, one question: um, Do you know who the manager is for South Korea? He, to my eye, did not look Korean. Is he Korean? And if not, because it seems like he's not, how common is that to bring in a coach for your national team that is not from your nation? Uh, so his name is Paulo Bento. He is Portuguese. And right. the truth is that is actually, well, I was going to say it's actually really quite common, but it seems to be an increasing trend. I'm now looking at a list of, of where all the, the managers come from. Increasingly, it seems to be moving more and more towards having someone from your country. You'll see it a lot in I, I don't want to call them second con- second tier countries, but certainly not among the, the the strongest. You would bring in a manager from outside, and there are a number of mm-hmm. managers who have been from other countries. I, the U.S. has had, you know, in in my in my memory, I can think of at least two off the top of my head who are not Americans uh, who manage the national team, and it wouldn't surprise me if if they decide mutually or or one sidedly that Burhalter is no longer the U.S. manager, then perhaps. You know, we might go in a different direction, uh, and and it's not necessarily even a, a big t- uh, a big team or so. Excuse me, a small team thing. Um, England I, has had an Italian or Swede as manager. Mexico's manager was Argentine. Uh, so it, increasingly, it's more towards that. I'm looking at a list here, and it's it's quite a lot of them actually were. Um, Quite a lot of them were, were natives of their country. I believe, well, let me quick check real quick. I believe of the four teams remaining, yeah, so the four remaining, all of their managers are are nationals. They all come from their country. And, okay. in, the, and in the case of France's uh, Didier Deschamps, actually, not only did he man- is he managing them, managed them four years ago in 2018, he also played for France in 98 when they won the Cup. So, Right, they mentioned that during the coverage, yeah. He is, he is yeah, one of the few men, to, few men to win it both as a player and a coach. Right. Yeah, cool. So, so yeah, the, my, my last comment on South Korea and Brazil was, yeah, I got to see Gabby on attack. Um, they ah, brought in yes. Martinelli as a substitution toward the end. So, yeah, that was good. Yeah, it's nice to him to get uh, – nice for him to get – 
uh, get some more time. I, I, I haven't seen a lot, didn't see a lot of Brazil, and I know he came on in a couple games. And the, my sense is he's acquitted himself well, which is always nice to see. Yeah, yeah he seemed seemed uh, up to his, his normal form, so that was good. Um, so moving on to Brazil versus Croatia, I would say this is the most nail-biting, exciting match I've seen to date, including all the Arsenal ones that I've seen so far. This was nuts. Um, to refresh anybody who had seen it and to clue in anyone who missed this one. So the entire 90 minutes of regulation play was all scoreless. Close, like back and forth, plenty of attempts on both sides. Apparently, I heard someone was complaining or multiple people were complaining about the officiation. To me, it was Michael Oliver. I think Michael's his first name. Oliver's last name. Yes. Um, yeah. So he was the, the ref on the field. And it seemed actually, and especially in comparison to England and France the following day, um, very even handed, maybe didn't call a lot. He overall just kind of let them play, but seemed even handed to me, not particularly favoring either side. Um, and it went scoreless until toward the end of the first 15 minute extra time period, Brazil scores. And you're thinking, oh boy, okay, this is it. This is how they do it. And then in the second 15 minute period, Croatia came back with an answering goal and tied it up and it went to penalty shootouts. So the first goal, the first penalty shot from Brazil missed. This is after uh, Croatia had already made their first shot. So they were at an immediate disadvantage and it only went downhill from there. And Brazil was kind of the victim of an upset. Um, it was really crazy. And, and as I mentioned, I was watching it time shifted when we were talking about that possibility after we recorded a couple of weeks ago, you pointed out, make sure that you have your DVR go long. <laughs> this is a case where it was after the first, I think two or maybe three penalty shots, <laughs> the recording ran out and yep. I hadn't necessarily been planning in advance on watching that. So I didn't go in and make sure that I set the next time slot after to record also, because I'm using sling, not an actual DVR and I can't just tell it to keep another extra half hour or something like I used to do with my TiVo. But anyways, so I had to watch <laughs> La Copa Mundial de FIFA on Peacock <laughs> and watch their streaming replay coverage to get the last couple minutes. And it worked. And, you know, it was only the last couple minutes. So I wasn't really begging for a commentary at that point. I pretty much knew what was going on. But, uh, oh, boy, to lose it that way. It was uh, hats off to Croatia, though. I think right now um, I'd probably be... Uh, pulling for them to win it all at this point for, from the four teams who are left. Did you get to watch Croatia play at all? Yeah, I've seen a little bit of them. So, yeah, I, you know, Croatia, Brazil, I think, was certainly the more dangerous team throughout, which isn't a surprise. Croatia has done a very good job, uh, certainly defensively. They have some really good players. Uh, they're probably uh, their midfielder, Luka Modric, uh, was the critical player for them four years ago when they went to the final. Uh, so Croatia, Croatia's obviously didn't exist as a country, 20, you know, 30 years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, their first appearance in the World Cup was 1998. They actually went all the way to the semifinals uh, and then it went to the semi went wow. to the final four years ago in 2018 in Russia and are in the semifinals again at, in a country that has four million people. 
so they're yeah they're quite that's impressive. I, I think frankly of of all the four teams remaining i think there are easy narratives to pick up with all of them to sort of say aha this is a team i would back or a team i would like to see win uh certainly croatia you know doing what they're doing uh the other cinderella is morocco uh morocco is the first african team to make the semifinals ever yeah uh, and they've been and they've certainly been to to knock off uh spain and portugal back to back like that and then to play, I mean, if they were to follow it up by beating France, would be just simply incredible. Uh, so they are, mm-hmm. they're, they're quite a story. Uh, they also, yeah, they also beat Belgium, who came in ranked very highly uh, and as a, certainly is a very talented roster. Uh, you have Argentina, who is led by uh, Lionel Messi, who is arguably right. the greatest player ever. Uh, he, he's let's put it this way: he's right. in that conversation of greatest players ever, and to, to finally lift. To finally win the World Cup, and you know, with our, with a country like Argentina, would be would be there's certainly a romantic choice to that. And then France, uh, Kylian Mbappe is is uh, on that short list of best players in the world currently. They're the defending champions. Um, there's the, the the handsome Olivier Giroud scoring at the front. So there are there are. I mean, I think there's you can find re- compelling reasons to root for any of these four teams, which is a nice nice way to go. There's certainly some. Some teams that I'm I'm not upset to see their World Cups end. Let's just let's just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Oh sure. So you said you didn't catch all of England and France. Um, what I what can s- you tell me about the game before I tell you what I have to say about it? I, not a whole lot. I saw bits and pieces of it. I I know I, the sound of it. England in particular did very well. Uh, I, you know. I, Harry Kane is in some ways the story, uh, having with his with his two penalties, and yep. and I mean, so there's a couple of different things to point out here. One, you know, look, obviously this is a this is an Arsenal podcast. We don't like Tottenham. We don't like Harry Kane. Uh, his first penalty <laughs> is is textbook. He that is a that was a powerful shot. I mean, yeah. that's exactly what Beautiful. you're supposed to do. And of course, he converted it. Um, you know, well done to him. A penalty won, of course. I know we'll talk about this. Won by our very own Bukayo Saka. Yep. And then his, but then of course his second one, he missed. He just missed. Um, which touches on a couple of fun angles. So countries have reputations built into the way they play and what they do, and narratives sort of built around how their World Cups go. For years, the story with England is always they will lose on penalties. But now what they typically mean by this is losing a penalty shootout, but for them to lose on right. penalties like this is uh, in some ways it's just perfect. Uh, <laughs> if it can be described yeah, that's, that way. That's interesting. One last thing a bit, a bit about that. We talked about Jesus and the, the physical injury to, to me, this is the more fascinating thing to see because we're not really sure how this is going to play out is the psychological side of all of this, you know, to, for so many of these guys, especially these guys late in the tournament, and this is where it's Arsenal might actually be in a decent shape given we really only have we only have one player left in the tournament, Saliba, who hasn't really played much at all for France. You know, for some of these guys to be playing in this high intensity, high stakes, the drama of of the late stages of the World Cup, and these guys are going to have to go from this a week later. Is their are their domestic leagues starting back up again? You know. Mm-hmm. How how do you adjust that psychologically? And then for a player like Kane, I mean, to miss that penalty in that moment, and me, not the he's not the reason England went out, but you gotta wonder what that does to a guy. 
you know, some of them may, you know, maybe yeah. he's fine. I mean, we saw, you know, that was the big worry last year with, with Saka. He, he missed the penalty in the final of the Euros then and England lost. How was he going to react when he came back? And, you know, he, he, and it turns out he was fine. You know, he's, he's young, he's, he's optimistic, you know, the club supported him really well. I'm sure that I'm sure Tottenham will do everything they can, obviously for Kane, but you know, obviously mm. you just never really know how that affects you until you're there. Yeah. So, so a couple things. Uh, so first of all, based on that second penalty, what the commentators were talking about and hearing what they said and watching the replays, I could definitely see that there's a plausible case to be made for this. I don't know if, if Harry Kane has given any interviews and talked about it, but they were saying with that second penalty that what probably happened was as he was approaching the ball, he saw Loris commit to diving in the direction, like into the exact spot that he was planning on kicking it. And so because he already saw him commit to going in that direction, he had to change at the last minute and try to kick it higher to go over him and just overcompensated. Just, you know, it was a split second change and it's hard to do that. And it just went high and it, it glanced off the crossbar at the top. Um, and yeah, that so that makes sense. You know, it's just a matter of these two particular players because they play in the same team with each other because Loris is the guy who Harry Kane is shooting penalty practice shots against in all their practices. They probably know each other pretty well to the point where it makes more sense that, yeah, Loris probably could have anticipated the direction pretty well uh, just based on his body language and stuff. And uh, that's, yeah, that's an I interesting think... dimension to it. You know, I think I think that I think there's probably something to that. Um, it, and and a lot of it is a guy. You know, a lot of the regular penalty takers, like they have they have a spot they like to go to. So it, it, it's not mm -hmm. necessarily that like you know, Loris is inside Kane's head. Kane's their regular ta penalty taker for Tottenham. He takes penalties for England. He has d tons of video of penalties. We know where he likes to go. But in this case, yeah, Lloris guessed it, and it could very well be that you know the only rule is the keeper has to have his back foot has to have his foot on the line when the shot is taken. Yep. And so, yeah, you see them dancing around and waving their arms and moving anything you can do to to just just east right, just an inch off for the, on the, some of those shots, and all of a sudden it, you're hitting it into the sixth row as opposed to right into the net. So yeah, and it, right, that's such a disadvantage as the keeper. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah, but I think overall, though, I didn't really dwell on the penalty shot, the the fact that it was missed. I didn't blame Harry Kane. To me, this game was absolutely handed to France by the officials. I have not seen a game called worse than this game was. It was atrocious. You like, I feel like I know the rules of a game better with my limited exposure than, than this guy does. There was a particular case where there was a player approaching an England player approaching the goal. He was inside the penalty box and the ball was sailing through the air about to land a couple of feet in front of him. And a French player just comes up from behind him and just knocks him over before he's even received the ball, right? A textbook case of denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity, right? The ref was not going to call it at all. And then grudgingly, when VAR pulls him over and has him review it, he's like, eh, eh, okay, well, I guess I'm wrong, but I don't want to let on how exactly wrong I was. So I'm going to call it a yellow card, even though it should have been a straight red. 
that is one of the few cases that merits a straight red. And it absolutely should have been. That could have easily been a goal. It was it was so frustrating. And there was another case where he wasn't going to give a car. He wasn't going to call the penalty. And then eventually, again, grudgingly called the penalty and only gave a yellow after they're saying, come on, there's no card for that. Like, it's just it was so frustrating and all on one side. I mean, and something that was interesting with these two particular teams is they were talking about during the coverage. England, before this match, had not received a single yellow card during all of the World Cup, which is astonishing to me because I've never seen a game without one side or without each side getting at least one yellow. It's just part of playing the game. Um, but that was that was amazing. They finally got one during this match. But France was just playing super aggressive. And you can't blame them when they're not getting called on it at all. They're going to keep doing it. I wish that England had kind of felt the direction of the wind a little bit more and reciprocated, but it was just really, really bad officiation. Hmm. I, you know, the, the noise about officiating really came out after the fact of the, the Netherlands Argentina game, there were a lot of comments about the hmm. referee there. I uh, actually, it's interesting. So I, as you were talking about the referee, I looked it up. So the referee for England, France was a guy's name is Wilton Sampaio, who actually was the official for the U S Netherlands game uh, in the round of 16. Ah, Whereas actually the uh, the referee for the Netherlands Argentina was uh, Antonio Mateo Lajos, who was also the referee for the U.S.'s game against Iran. So I mean, they ro- obviously they rotate the referees through this. I-, I I still think the worst refereeing I've seen in this World Cup was the excuse me the Qatari ref we had in in the Wales game. Um, but yeah, you're gonna you know it, it, you're gonna have that sometimes, and it, you yeah. you've sort of seen that in in the Premier League too, and. That officiating is uh, it, 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 boy, there's a lot, there's a lot of variation, and and even some of these guys are are really experienced. They've been in big games before. They some of them really know their stuff, and but yeah, you have games sometimes. You just sort of wonder what it is they saw uh, that uh, you just wonder what they saw that they they yeah. did or didn't make a call. Yeah. So no, it's uh, it's exciting. I've been enjoying myself. I mean, just for me taking notes as an amateur keeper, um, I mean, oh my God, the performance from the Croatian goalkeeper, that alone is reason enough for me to to root for them against Argentina. And if they make it uh, into the final, to root for them in the final. Um, just amazing, amazing performance in that Brazil-Croatia game. Just key save after key save before they even got to the penalty shootout. And he actually blocked one of the penalty shots like just amazing amazing keeping i'm uh keeping an eye on him yeah he was he he was very good in what i in what i saw uh just some other notes about the keepers we should throw in we talked a little about Loris, uh argentina's keeper emmy martinez actually is a former arsenal man he ah. won he, he oh yeah keeper. i heard that mentioned in yes. in the yeah he was our keeper in the the covid after we came back from uh the what they call project restart when they finished up the season in, in the summer in the COVID year in 2020, uh, our, our burn Lena was the starter. He got hurt. Martinez came in as the backup and then we proceeded to win mm. the FA cup. So, uh, mm. so good for Amy, <laughs> good for Amy Martinez. And he's, he is a very confident keeper. Uh, he's certainly very confident. The new Morocco's Morocco has only given up one goal in the entire tournament. Wow. And the and the best That's part about amazing. it was it was actually an own goal. So as they've said, the through four ga- uh, through five <laughs> games, the only team that can score on Morocco is Morocco. <laughs> that's that's really cool. That's uh, that's interesting. 
So, so time to move on to some small questions that have come up from these uh, last few games. So I, I think the answer is probably yes, but I just want to confirm with you. Do offsides rules apply to goal kicks? So the, the keeper needs to clear it. He can clear it to the other side of the field. If, uh, if a player on his side is past the last defender, does that does the other team get the ball? I know there is there is a a goal kick is treated uh, like a throw in or a corner as a dead ball play. So there is no offside. Ah, okay. Oh, good to know. Cool. Okay. Yeah. The the laws in the Um, game officially say there is no offside offense if a player receives the ball directly from a goal kick, a throw in or a corner kick. Okay, good. And I guess the limiting factor there is that they have to clear the ball within a, a certain short amount of time. So, so it's limiting, I guess, how, how much you can get ahead of the defense. But, uh, okay, cool. Um, also, I appreciated you mentioning and explaining the term cap. Uh, so when the commentators were all mentioning that, I knew what they were talking about. It did lead me to wonder, though, where does that term come from? Is it country appearance? Is it an abbreviation for that? Or what does it mean? Like, I, I didn't uh, know. So it, yeah, it means an appearance in your national team. But like, where does it originate from, I guess? So when, the, when they started doing internationals, and England would do this and a few others, that when you, when you played for your national team, you were actually given a cap, a hat. Hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, hmm. that's, ba- that's basically it. When they say caps, they refer to a physical hat that you would be given. Um, hmm. yeah, wow. that's it. It's, it's not really, on the pitch. It, this is like outside. Well, I think, I think they might've even, I think they might've actually even been given them, like worn them. I, I think keepers actually used to wear caps and we're talking, we're talking, remember the first internationals are, you know, it, first general international matches, England and Scotland in 1872. <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, dress was very different. You know, for on the field, dress was very different. I think keep, they may have even worn them during the game. I think keepers actually wore them for a while on the field after that. I think, um, and so huh. that that term as a as a cap is just it has has stuck. As it, obviously, in this case, it's a number of yeah. caps. Um, the yeah, the uh, the apparently the all time record. For caps is two hundred and nineteen by uh, someone named that? Yeah. Uh, someone named So Chin An who played for Malaysia between nineteen sixty nine and nineteen eighty four. Huh. Okay. The, the, uh, the, uh, there are several active players up near the top, but one of them uh, that you would have seen a third all time one hundred ninety five caps is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo of Portugal, uh, who is, is still. Like it still makes appearances for Portugal. We'll see, I guess, what he'll do now. Now that their World Cup is finished, I'm mean, curious to see. Right. I, I assume Portugal will keep calling him in as long as they can, as long as he wants to play. But we'll see about that. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess I assumed it had to have something to do with appearances being in there because you see all the time apps like they always refer to it in the on-screen graphics as apps. This player had so many apps or PL apps or yeah. UEFA Europa apps this season or whatever. So it's, uh, <laughs> I figured it had to do something with that, but I was wrong. <laughs> nope. It is, in fact, a cap. It is a hat on the two you put on your head. Yeah. Huh. I don't know that they do that. They, I don't know if they do that anymore, even ceremonially. But uh, I'm pretty sure they don't do it anymore ceremonially. But who knows? Maybe there's a country right. out there that does that. Yeah, bring it back. <laughs> there's actually a neat little tradition you'll see a little bit uh, when teams come out. 
uh, they'll carry with them a little banner, a little pendant with the club on it or with their, their country side of their club. And they'll actually, when the, when the, you'll see them when they do the coin toss and the handshakes, they will actually, the captains will exchange them. Hmm. So theoretically, That's there's some collections somewhere. And, and you'll see it in club competitions, <laughs> too. It's not even just national teams. But presumably, there are some collections hmm. somewhere of, like, here are all the teams we have played over the years and this all these little banners right. everywhere. Huh, interesting. Like, what size? Like a pennant, like you might see on a wall or something? Or smaller? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, something like something like that. It's not, it's, they're a little wider and a little shorter. Um, they look like miniature okay. versions of a banner that would hang in, a, in an arena. Or like okay. a, a you know a championship banner, a retired number, or something like that. They look they look kind of they 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 look like miniature versions of that. They they can be held in the hand, so they're not very big. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's good to know. Little stuff like that. Thank you. So, um, I think we finally have time to get to one of my longstanding questions. This came up way early in the season, so I'm sure whatever these numbers are describing um, have drastically changed by now, but. I saw Crystal Palace colon plus fourteen hundred draw colon plus three eighty Arsenal colon negative four fifty. It seems like it's got to be some kind of odds, but I don't know what unit that's in or, or what that's supposed to mean. Uh, so you are correct; those are betting odds. Um, I'm not a big gambler. I feel like drinking is, yeah, is enough of a vice. <laughs> have enough of a vice for me. So. Um, yeah, they are the that's the money line and it has to do basically with how much money you win based on your bet. Uh so Okay. Uh let's see it's sort of the uh, the odds. So yeah, the you see on there so you listed there again uh, Crystal Palace was plus 1400 draw plus 380 Arsenal minus 450. That's the numbers you stuck in our in our notes. Uh the minus yeah. number means there means Arsenal is a heavy favorite. Uh, so you, okay. you basically, it, it refers to, it sort of suggests how much money you would win based on how much you put in. And this is where, uh, I'm trying to bump, bump, um, I, I, this is admittedly where I'm, I, I'm, there's a lot of math involved in this, which is not a strong suit of mine, but basically that's, looking at that. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Looking at, looking at that Arsenal, that line suggests that Arsenal is a heavy favorite, uh, not only are they a negative, but mm-hmm. Crystal Palace plus fourteen hundred number is a big number. So if Palace had won, that would have obviously netted you a lot of money. I think, right? Yeah, I think it's connect. I think it's based on the idea of betting a hundred dollars will win you or you know uh, X amount. I think is how that works. Right. Um, or who knows, pounds maybe even. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And that, well, I guess it depends where you saw the graphic. It was an NBC. They mean dollars, but yeah, it's uh, in pounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's rather interesting. So you're seeing a lot more of that in U.S. sports, uh, you know, since uh, gambling is sports betting has been legalized in a number of states or is is on the way to being legalized in many states. Um, yeah, you're, you're seeing that a lot more. It's interesting when I was over in England. Now, this was, you know, 2006. So we're, we're talking a while ago at this point. When I was over there, it was interesting to me that they were they were much more comfortable with gambling and sports, and you would see odds for results, players to score, point spreads, all that sort of thing was there. Uh, and, and apparently, there were even little betting kiosks in the stadiums where you could go and place a bet hmm. while you were there, which is interesting because, hmm. of course, American sports up until very recently have been very, very nervous about gambling. 
They don't like they didn't like mentioning right. it. They didn't like talking about it. An interesting point of comparison, though, in in the U.S. So obviously, you know, in the U.S., Lancet, if you wanted to go to a game, say you wanted to go down and see the Yankees in the middle of the summer, um, you wouldn't have to necessarily buy a ticket from the Yankees. You could just go down to the ballpark and you could scalp one. And right. you'd see you'd see guys wandering around the stadium. I got two tickets here, and you can negotiate a price and and all of that. And that would be that'd be fairly normal. What's interesting about that though is that it, in in Europe they don't do ticket scalping at all. That's that is hmm. that is something they take very. They would at least when I was there again, you know, over fifteen years ago, they took that very seriously. And you did not. They were not. They did not have uh, scalping. I know people who trying to go to Arsenal games, like getting a ticket for an Arsenal match, there's a little bit of, like, you have to do it through Arsenal. They don't, they, they apparently don't have yeah. websites like StubHub or things like that where you can buy tickets, you know, in a secondary, they don't have right. a secondary market for that kind of thing. So it's kind of fascinating what's considered acceptable and what's considered taboo, uh, you know, sort of culturally different. It's it's funny in that example, because as far as I know, it's never been legal to scalp tickets <laughs> US. So it's always something that had to be done surreptitiously. You'd be like trying to make sure that you're not trying to sell a scalp ticket to a cop who's trying to ferret out all the scalpers. Well, of course, right. StubHub, they have some kind of official arrangement, but. Right. And, and part of but part of it is also that, you know, there, there's not a lot of effort or resources put into that. Like as long as you, uh, you know, they're not even going to have a guy necessarily ferreting that out. As long as you're not standing in front of a cop, just waiting around two tickets, two tickets, as long as you're not doing that, they generally are going to be pretty hands off. They won't care as much. Um, mm. But in Europe, they will, go, they will apparently go after that. They will actually take that very seriously, uh, which is, I'm hmm. just, again, it's one, that's one of those I'm sort of fascinated by how that, what is sort of how that happens and how you approach those things. But yeah. So yeah. gambling. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's everything I wanted to cover with uh, through the quarterfinal round. Uh, was there anything else on your mind? Um, no, I don't think so. I think it's a pretty it's been a pretty interesting World Cup. Um, it's it's been a very comp- it's it's been a fast one. It, it's, it feels it's the schedule is a little compressed. They're moving a little quickly, a little quicker than usual. But overall, I think it's mm. it's been an interesting one. Yeah. So uh, what's coming up the next couple of weeks until uh, we reach our conclusion and Arsenal starts again? Yeah. So just a quick look at the schedule. I'm sure most people are aware of it at this point, but uh, we're recording on Monday night. The semifinals are tomorrow and Wednesday. So on Tuesday will be Argentina, Croatia. And then on Wednesday, we'll see France, Morocco. On Saturday is the third place game uh, the, between the two losers of the semifinals. And then, of course, on hmm. Sunday uh, is the big one, the final. Uh, the winner takes home the cup. And, uh, yeah, then the tournament's over. And then one week after that, or a little more than a week after that, on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, Premier League's back, Arsenal-West Ham. West Ham, all right. So with this third-place match, is that typical in tournaments that you want to find out who the third place is so you have a consolation match? Uh, essentially, yeah, I believe they've had those. For, they've had those. Um, most most World Cups have had a third place game, as I understand it. Uh, the first one didn't, which I only know that for sure because the U.S. actually made the semifinals of the first World Cup. It did not play in a third place game because it didn't exist yet. Uh, but a FIFA hmm. officially officially ranks us as the third place team for that tournament. So good for us. 
Um, I mean, you could determine it just based on the number of goals scored and other other. Oh yeah, they, oh yes, sets, they have. You know, oh yeah. yeah, that's that's how they've done it. But it's just kind of fascinating. I, I, we don't think of it that way, but the U.S. actually has finished third in the World Cup. Uh, it was in 1930, right. so it's <laughs> so it's been a while. But uh, yeah, it's it, it, the third place game. A lot of people find the third place game really kind of fascinating because you've got two teams who really just don't care anymore. Uh, so <laughs> like you'll, but you'll, you'll see this in the semifinals and I'm sure you'll see it in the final as well. There's so much at stake. There's so much pressure. Teams are going to be nervous. They're going to be careful. They're going to be cautious. It's going to be really a slow buildup. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of defensive play, not very aggressive, uh, because everyone's afraid of making a mistake. Third place game, they're going to go nuts. Like you can see some pretty wild yeah. third place games because who cares? Like let's you know, let's really go for this one. Yeah, you may have talked me into watching it. <laughs> we'll see how my weekend goes. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you want to listen the night we record, you can become a Gooner U superfan on Apple Podcasts to download a raw, unedited recording right away. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal and FIFA World Cup matches. Bye, Keith. Adios.